0: Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles, please, this morning to the Gospel of John. John chapter 4, we're reading at verse 23. The time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father In the spirit and in truth. Now, that word the, uh, can I just make mention of this? One of the challenges, the New International Version, if this, I'm reading from the New International, New International Version, the uh, translators struggled sometimes because they were kind of, um, uh, they were a bit more liberal translators. And so they struggled with that the spirit speaks. And so, uh, we could take that word off. I, I searched a bunch of other translations. They kept the word out of the word the. So you can put it this way. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. You worship in spirit. You're not worshiping in the spirit, but in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father sees. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. I want to tell a story that really relates to what I'm going to be sharing today. Uh, we have, since the new year, been focusing around now is the time. We believe God has orchestrating these days, and these are un- very uncertain days. We've gone from times of pandemic to times of uncertainty in our nation with uh, the freedom convoy, now to times with potential war That could be expanded to be bigger than just a region. We live in uncertain times. As long as we keep God out of our faith and living according to his mandate, these we will continue to to strive. The, the, The emphasis we have is now is the time. And actually this text, it says now is the time. The time has come when worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. The focus of what I want to share today is following up on what we've been sharing in the last couple of weeks as we have been following God's prescription of entering into his presence. And we've been following the picture of the Old Testament tabernacle of moving into his presence. Today, what does it look like to hear from him when we are in his presence, when we've gone from salvation to forgiveness to yieldedness to the knowledge to wisdom to understanding and there we worship him? And then we move into the place where His mercy dwells. And He speaks. We present our offerings. We communicate with Him. But He communicates with us. What does that look like? Hearing the voice of God. So this story, it's a true story, it goes back to 1943. Myra Wattinger, 1943. She was down on her luck. She was alone, penniless, wandering through southern towns in the southern United States. Myra finally got a job caring for an elderly gentleman. He was old, couldn't tend to his own needs, and so it was a good job for her. It was minimum wage, but she got to stay and live at the house, and her meals were included. Myra suffered from rejection herself she was divorced her parents both were dead she really had no one to turn to for help one day as Myra was sitting keeping watch in the home the elderly man was sleeping she thought life couldn't sink any lower well actually it could For on that tragic day in that house, that elderly gentleman that she was tending, his adult son, drunk, raped her. She thought God hated her. I mean, after all, less than 3% of rape victims become pregnant. She became pregnant. Forced to carry the drunken brute's baby, she wanted to kill the baby. She wanted to kill herself. In the midst of her pain, Myra cried out to God, not even knowing if he existed. God, where are you in all of this? And then she tells the story. She heard it. Two short sentences that would change Myra's life. Two short sentences. Have this baby. It will bring joy to the world have this baby, it will bring joy to the world. So on October the 9th, 1943, Myra gave birth to her son. It didn't come easily. She almost died giving birth. And then her life was so difficult following. She was in and out of jobs. She could not provide for him. He was in and out of foster homes. It was during the time that he was attending school, this young boy, that he was introduced to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He gave his life to Jesus. He became a Christian, and he heard God speak to him. One word. Preach. That was it. Preach. He was just a boy in school, but He thought he understood what that meant, and so he began to talk about Jesus, about how Jesus loved him, began to tell his story, and that Jesus loves you. He would graduate, he would work in a chemical plant, and he was always seeking those opportunities to preach, to share the love of Jesus to those around him, and oftentimes conviction would touch lives, would even sweep over those who were his co-workers, bringing them to a place of salvation themselves. Here we are today, 2022, almost 80 years later. And that young man, no longer young, has been responsible for leading tens of millions of people to Christ and has one of the largest mission organizations around. His name is is James Robinson, James and Betty Robinson, who are authors. They produce the daily Life Today TV programming, but that's his story. His story rolls back to mom who heard two sentences. God spoke to her, who as a young boy, a man, he himself heard one word from God, and it changed the rest of his life. God continues to speak. He is not silent. And I believe that we now more than ever need to become tuned in to the voice of Holy Spirit. We primarily know that God speaks through four ways. I learned this in Bible college. Four ways God primarily speaks. He speaks through his word. But here's one of the things I've discovered. Some people have stopped there. They've stopped at the place where they don't recognize. There's other ways that God speaks as well. But he does speak through his word. He speaks through experience, through supernatural means, and he speaks through natural means. First of all, God speaks through the Bible. He speaks through the Bible. But here's the question. What if that's not working well for you? Sometimes the Bible seems so unreal. I mean, look at the people that God speaks to in the scriptures. I mean, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Like, we're not like them. I'm not like them. And Moses, oh my goodness, I'm, farthest from me is to compare myself to Moses and Daniel and the prophets. And then Apostle Paul, I'm not going to compare myself, and the early disciples. I mean, the Bible is full, and it just seems unreal. It seems distant. It seems like God could speak to those big people back there. The Bible is a book of him speaking to people and people praying, but it it seems to disconnect with me today. Disconnects with me. Do you relate to that? Too often we relegate the Bible experience to past experiences. And so the Bible often seems unreal. Doesn't seem new and fresh today. Interesting that James, in the book of James, at the end of the scriptures, James would in James chapter 5 address this. This is not new. James was surrounded with a number of people and James was pastoring a church. And the people were struggling with this very thing. They couldn't seem to connect with those of Scripture. They couldn't connect with the stories that had been passed down. They just felt that it was unreal. So when you began to speak that God speaks to me today, and yet you use the Bible as evidence or a, 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 you know, testify about it, it seems like that disconnects with you. James would write in James chapter 5, verse 17. Here's what he said. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, when I first read that, I, I thought, well, that's not convincing because um, Elijah's pretty big, too. <laughs> like, you're using Elijah to compare us, and I don't see it. But note what he says. Actually, James' point was just the opposite. Know what he starts off in verse 17. Elijah was a human being just like you and me. And yet all these things happened, but he was just like us. He wasn't special. He wasn't unique. He wasn't meant to be one out from everyone else. He, that's what James, Elijah was a human being just like We are. I mean, when you think about it, yes, Elijah heard from God and he stilled the skies for three and a half years. It didn't rain. And then he heard the voice from God and he spoke to the sky and the clouds came and it began to rain. And Elijah heard from God and he built this altar and fire came down on this altar. Yes, he heard the voice of God. But this is this very same guy whose life demonstrates instability. You can't read through the story of Elijah and read his life. You see, this guy has inconsistencies almost every day of his life. After calling down fire from heaven, he wanders out and wants to die. He enters into a deep, deep and dark depression. He just wants to die and God has to come and comfort him and keep him alive. He just wants to quit. He wants to turn away. He keeps... Falling into his own pit of self-pity and self-centeredness. That's why James uses him as an illustration. James says, although his prayers accomplished much, he was just like us. Just like you and I. So when we begin to say that the Bible's not real and they're not real. And there's too much distance between us. I'm not like them. I can't identify. James is saying, but they're just like you. Just like you. They have the same doubts that you have, the same difficulties you and I have. According to James, he says, God can speak to you and I just like he did Elijah. Yeah, let's try this. When it comes to the Bible, let's look at the Bible as a menu of the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes there's this serious disconnect. When it comes to God speaking to us. I want you to think about the Bible like it's a menu. Now you think about a menu. You go to a restaurant, you have a menu. You order from the menu. The Bible not only tells us various ways the Holy Spirit will speak to us. But the Bible tells us the very things that we must eat if we are to live. The Bible tells us that there are spiritual poisons we need to keep away from. It tells us things that we can delight in. In many ways, it's it's like a menu. No one purposely avoiding the Bible is going to reliably or consistently hear from God. We can't avoid this. We know that. However, there are people who devote themselves diligently to the study of Bible. And yet, although they can quote massive passages of the Bible, they're spiritually malnourished. You see, it's not just enough to learn. And I thrill that our midweek program, our children are learning Bible memory. But I've cautioned, Pastor Brad, I've cautioned some workers. It's not enough to memorize it. You must understand what it's saying behind what you're memorizing. Otherwise, it's just great proverbs. It's just great words. You say, well, the word will not come back void. Only if you know more, if it's not simply a menu, it has to go beyond the menu. And there are people all over. there are people who devote their lives today, who study the Bible. They're like people, if you would, who study a menu with great precision. Imagine if you study a menu, you're at a restaurant, you study the menu, and you can tell every detail that's on that menu. You can talk about when the menu's first edition came out. When the second edition came out on the menu. When they added a few things to the menu. You can talk about how the menu has changed over the years. And how each dish is prepared. And how it ought to be served. What should come first? What should come second? Which foods they are. You can even talk about the chef who's organized the menu. And the different flavors and maybe the regions where this food, this item has come from. You can talk about the menu and its precise order. Perhaps you've gone to menu school. And your major goal in menu school was to study menus. You study menus. And when you graduate... The ones who were the best at explaining the menus were the ones who had the biggest menu clubs, where many people meet regularly just to hear the new and inspiring explanation of the menu. Yet no one grows strong from an explanation of the menu or even from firsthand study of a menu. Only those who order from the menu eat and grow strong. There's a difference. You see it. There's a difference. Don't mistake the menu for the meal. Oh, listen here. Listen. If your Bible study does not lead you into an experience with Jesus and the working of His Spirit, it will leave you malnourished. If we make the Bible study our goal, well, we'll end up like the Pharisees in Jesus' day who searched the Scriptures diligently but never knew Jesus. They could quote it, but they never knew Jesus. No, it's not just the study of the menu. Don't mistake the menu for the meal. Jesus himself spoke about this in John chapter 5.39. Jesus said this, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. Can I read that again? You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them, in this, binding alone, you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, Jesus said. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. What they were doing, they were studying all this, but they had not experienced Jesus. This leads me to his spirit. And it's in him I embrace. It's in him I live. It's in him I have my being. I don't have my being in the binding of this. This can lead me to him. But it's a menu. Draws me to the person of Jesus Christ. Him. Him. I serve. I don't serve the bindings. I serve Jesus. And yet some make this the end of their pursuit. But it's the God of the Scriptures. So many people have studied the menu but never ordered. You'll die doing that. You'll die studying the menu but never ordering. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. (laughs) The irony is you're so close to the menu and yet so far from the meal. The meal's the next step. So God speaks through the Bible, but we need to understand it's a menu to lead us to Him. Secondly, how does God speak? God speaks through experience. That is through the events and circumstances of our lives. You can see it throughout scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, the prophets in particular. Maybe let's look at it this way. What would you think about having surgery from a physician or a surgeon who correctly diagnoses your disease? Let's say you have heart disease. So a physician has correctly diagnosed that you have heart disease. We call that interpretation. He's interpreted the information correctly. You have heart disease. And he knows the right surgical procedure to correct it. That's called application. He's interpreted the problem. Now there's application to fix the problem. But here it is but the physician has never once performed or been in an operation. That's called experience. So you can have the proper interpretation. You can have the proper application what to do with what you know. But have you tasted and seen yourself what can be done? You see, it's called, if all we have is interpretation and application, it's called theoretical knowledge. Theoretically, you know what to do. Untested knowledge by experience is unreliable knowledge. I know I wouldn't want to have him operate on my heart. He can be brilliant, he can study, and he can know what to do, but if he's never done it, oh, I'm going to not be really happy about it. I need someone with experience. I remember when our son was having his tonsils and... He's tonsils pulled. And one of the questions we ask the physician, have you done this before? (laughs) Right? We want to know. We don't want to know if you've got a degree. We don't want to know if you can dress in blue. We need to know, have you actually done this before? How many times have you done this? Were they successful? Experience. Experience. God speaks through experience. Stories that testify. Like the one I read you earlier that testify of what God is doing. Laurie and I were at a conference a number of years ago. It was a a conference. It was a renewal conference on God, on revival. And uh, Wayne Benson, who from Grand Rapids, uh, Michigan, First Assembly of God, was overseeing the conference. And and it was held in Buffalo, New York, uh, Tommy Reed's church called the Tabernacle. We were there, and they had one of the plenary speakers, Dr. I can't remember the guy's name, He was the uh, head academic uh, professor at a seminary. And he was speaking on revival. But here's, I found it so interesting, I've never forgotten how he was introduced. Wayne Benson got up, Wayne Pastor, he got up and he introduced and he said, he said, this doctor, he's not just coming, he teaches on revivals, but he has lived through revivals. And to me, all of a sudden, the guy had credit. He wasn't telling me revivals of past. He wasn't telling about Evans' revival and the Welsh revival and, and their Sousa Street revival and the Wales. He wasn't telling me all the different revivals, even though he did. He had lived in some revivals. He had been a part of the revival where he saw signs and wonders and God speaking and moving in power and a might. And all of a sudden, I was interested because the guy doesn't have theory. He has experience. Experience. He's telling me more than something about God. He's telling me about God and how he has experienced God. I really believe we need that. And we just don't tell theory, but have we touched him? Have we experienced him in our life? Have we experienced his healing, miraculous, mighty touch ourselves? Or is it theory? God speaks through people's experience. It's powerful. Third thing, God speaks through supernatural means. And the last two, he speaks through supernatural means and he speaks through natural means. So let's pause for a moment. God speaks through supernatural means. I'm first of all talking about an audible voice here. The first one is an audible voice where actually your eardrums eardrums hear him. By the way, when I study anywhere in the menu about God speaking with an actual audible voice, usually it instills fear, not peace. (laughs) When he actually speaks, they often equate it, it sounds like thunder, and it scares them to death when he actually does speak. You know, in some ways, I kind of don't want him to speak to me that way because I'm not sure if I could handle it. So it brings me to the second point, internal audible voice. So it's not through your eardrums, but... But you almost thought it was, like Samuel, little boy Samuel. His name was called Samuel. And he began to run about. Yes, Eli, was it you? No, I I didn't speak to you. Then he heard Samuel. And Eli, you know, Eli wasn't deaf. Eli couldn't hear that voice. It was an internal voice. But Samuel thought it was real. Well, it was real, but it didn't go through his eardrums. It was an internal voice audible voice. God speaks through an eternal audible voice. Those voices tend not to so much sound like thunder. God also supernaturally, we see him speak through angels. Hebrews 13.2 talks about entertaining angels unaware. Matthew 18.10, Jesus spoke that children have guardian angels. Acts 12.23 shows them as avengers of the saints, executioners against God's enemies. This coming Wednesday, I'm going to spend a bit more time talking about this. I'm going to talk a bit more of angelology. I'm going to talk a bit more of dreams and visions because it's a huge topic. I'm not going to give a lot of time, but I'm going to talk about that in a bit more detail this coming Wednesday. I'm going to suggest that many people don't report their encounters with angels for fear of what others think. I mean, come on. It's weird. And so if you tell somebody, they're going to kind of like lift an eyebrow Drop their eyes halfway, and you're kind of like, oh man, they just checked out on me. <laughs> Stories like this, though, are documented throughout church history of angels continuing to speak on behalf of God. I mean, the whole story, if we could spend the next hour, the whole story around the birth of Christ is angel speaking. The book of Revelations alone mentions angels 80, 80 times. Angels. The fourth one I want to mention, how does God speak? He speaks through natural means as well. And natural means I'm referring to dreams. Speaks to us in a dream. No, I do not believe every dream is of God. As a matter of fact, I believe most are not. Some dreams are just because of what you ate the night before or what you watched on television the night before. Okay, Often they are the ones that precipitate your dream. But God still speaks through dreams. Visions. Joel chapter 2 speaks of this being more prevalent as the end times roll nearer, dreams and visions. God will speak through sentence fragmentations, just partial sentences. He will speak through a single word like he did uh, James Robinson, just single words. He will speak through an impression. He will speak through intuitions. He will speak through human messengers. And they don't always have to come and say, thus saith the Lord and say something. They don't have to do that doesn't simply come through pastors or evangelists or prophets. But it flows through the body of Christ. We really don't have to travel hundreds of miles and pay money to attend events. To learn the truth that maybe your Christian wife was trying to speak to you about. Or a friend was on behalf of God trying to get your attention. It's important. We need to learn the language of the Holy Spirit. It's a learned thing. It doesn't come automatically. you learn the language of the Holy Spirit. And I began to think, and I came here today, why do we go to church? Why do we go to church? What drives you to come here on a Sunday morning, Sunday after Sunday? Well, some people go to church because, well, it's always been what you do. You go to church. Some go to church because it's a good place to make business contacts. Some go to church because of the beauty and the joy of singing. Some go because their friends go. Some go to learn the Bible. Some go to please their mates. Some go to find their mates. Some go to get away from their mates. But in the New Testament times, in the early church, why did they go to church? Why did they meet together from place to place? Well, we read of it in First. Corinthians chapter 14. I'm going to put this up for you. 1 Corinthians 14. Look at this. Now this whole chapter is talking about God speaking. And it's worth the reading. We don't have the time to go through this chapter. I'm picking one verse out of it. Verse 26. It's near the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? He's talking to the church here. What shall we say? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Now note the purpose of them coming together. The purpose was everything was done so the church may be built up. They were to come to build up one another. The building up wasn't meant to come through a pastor only. Did you catch that? Everything must be done that the church may. So we know the goal is that you be built up. We all want to be. When I come here Sunday, I want to be built up in my faith. I want to be strengthened in my faith. I come for that. I come to be strengthened in my faith. But note the early part of this verse. It says, when you come together, these next three words, each of you. He's not talking to the pastor. Each of you. mm, Each of you. Everyone, each of you has a hymn. There's a song. Each of you a word of instruction. Each of you a revelation. Each of you a tongue, an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the purpose of the church, that we would build one another up. We come to build one another up. But everybody was to bring something that would contribute to it. We all contribute to it. What were we contributing to? Well, it was, there was a hymn, there was a word of instruction, a revelation, a word from God, a tongue that would be interpreted for the body. This list was not meant to be exhaustive in those five things. The list was rather a representation of the kinds of things that could bring a church together for the mutual building each other up. Therefore, I'm convinced if you and I step back 2,000 years ago and we're in the first century church, if we were living in the New Testament first century church, when you went to church, when you gathered together, you prepared your heart before you got there. You prepared your heart. You came expecting God was going to use you to minister to someone else. And that, that can be revolutionary for some here t- this morning. You did not come in order to receive. You came believing God was going to use you in some way to build someone up in the faith when you got together. I'm calling us to that. I'm calling every brother and sister in the Lord. When we gather together, not just Sundays, but when we gather together, it could be at someone's place for for a meal, for just sharing and fellowshipping. It can be in our small group, in whatever context that we get together in faith, that we come preparing our hearts that God would use me to minister and build you up. And I prepare my heart to do so. You come expecting to be equipped for ministry, so you pray you will have something to strengthen someone else. Now here's, I can hear it, because I hear this all the time. God doesn't speak to me like that. But God just doesn't speak to me like that. But I, th- I want to implore, but he can. And he desires to. Holy Spirit desires to speak to you. James 4, 2, you do not have because you do not ask. Have you asked? Do you open your heart to let revelation begin to flow into you so it can flow through you? The Apostle Paul believed that the Holy Spirit speaks through revelational giftings constantly. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 20, but I'm just going to read one part of it. He said, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. In other words, don't ignore this. Let it grow. Let it grow. And I'm going to talk more about this maybe next week. But if you've been if you've been on the negative side of some negative word, <laughs> then we get a little shy when Somebody begins to speak on behalf of God. We begin to put walls up. And I've been there and done it. He says, don't treat them with contempt. Let people speak to you. Let the Spirit speak through people to you. Job acknowledged in the Old Testament, Job thirty-three, fourteen: 14, for God does speak. Now one way, now another, though man may not perceive it. God speaks. I'm going to suggest that God has been speaking to us. He's been speaking to you. But possibly you didn't recognize his voice. Perhaps because you didn't believe he spoke that way. Or no one ever told you the variety of ways that God does speak. And so you didn't tune into that frequency that he actually was speaking to you. So here's some basic question. We're going to close with this. How do I know if it's God speaking to me or if it's just me? How can I tell That's a really good question. How do I know? Because I don't want to start sharing something and trying to build somebody up and it's just me. How do I know if it's God speaking or not just my own notions? Or maybe the pressure to say something. And I happen to not be a strong uh, person who believes that you you have to keep producing for every person in front of you. Because if God's not speaking, then you're going to make something up. I don't believe in that. God has to speak to my heart to share it. But how do I know of God's speaking? Well, here's some basic, simple things. I'm just going to give it to you. Number one, God's voice always will agree with the Scripture. So yes, study the menu. Study the menu. All private revelation in any form ought to be checked up against His menu. God will never contradict what He has spoken to us. He may, however, contradict your interpretation of that. He may, however... Challenge how you have been perceiving it. He did that with Peter in Acts chapter 10. Peter began to talk about the Gentiles and Paul had to come and say, you've misinterpreted it, Peter. He corrected it. So he may challenge a correction to an interpretation, but all prophetic words, impressions, dreams, visions, supernatural experiences of all sorts need to be tested through the light of God's word. He won't contradict himself. So that's number one. His voice will always agree. So we can know that. So I check it up. Is this a green? Secondly, God's voice has a consistent character, I've discovered. When I study the conversations of Jesus, and this is probably one of the best ways to do it, study the print in red, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the way Jesus conversed. Observe how he speaks to the woman at the well. Observe how he speaks to the rich young ruler. Observe how he speaks to his disciples over and over again. Because the voice of Jesus is consistent to how he's going to speak today. So you'll recognize if something's contrary to the way he did speak, it's probably not him. Jesus wasn't one who whined. He didn't argue. He was calm, quiet, confident. Jesus didn't speak condemningly. So why would he speak different today? You know, when the devil speaks, he makes you feel worthless. When the devil speaks, he does nag and whine. When the devil speaks, he makes you feel like there's hopelessness around the situation. You can recognize that's not Jesus speaking there. That's the enemy of your soul. He wants you to feel hopeless. He wants you to feel there is no point. That this is how it was and it's going to be like this in the future. That's not the way Jesus spoke. What's how he speaks. It's different. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, he confronts us with the reality of our lives, our sin, but he always brings hope through Christ. God's voice has a consistent character. You start to pick up on it. Thirdly, God's voice bears good fruit. I've heard it said that the major test when God speaks, if God is speaking prophetically, is whether or not the predictions come true. So you just wait, and if they come true then good, if they don't come true, you're a false prophet. But let's remember, many prophecies have contingencies to them. It's not quite that simple. For instance, the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 18 speaks about what God would do unless the people repented. So if they repented, it wasn't going to come to pass, and you could say he was a false prophet. But it wasn't that he was a false prophet. It had a contingency to it. If they repent, it won't come to pass. I mean, the story, probably the most known story, is Jonah. Remember, Jonah was told, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. So Jonah was told, go preach to the people of Nineveh. He went and preached to the people of Nineveh, and Nineveh wasn't destroyed. And Jonah was so peeved. Somebody could have said, Jonah, you're a false prophet. No, he wasn't a false prophet. It had a contingency. If the people repented, God would, he would turn away from the wrath. Often there's contingencies to what God is saying. When predictions fail, there are usually one of three possibilities. First of all, the Lord may not have spoken. (laughs) That is true. Secondly, the Lord may have spoken, but the human messenger misunderstood the timing. Sometimes God speaks to me and I have to ask all the time, even when I speak on Sunday mornings. God, do you want people to hear? Is that for me? Not everything I hear is to be told. Am I to share this? Is this something beyond me? And sometimes you share something and it wasn't meant for that. It's meant for me. It's meant for my personal situation. Or I didn't understand the timing of it. You see, over and over when God would speak, He would, he would bring it to pass in due season. There was a season for it. And so sometimes, sometimes the Lord spoke, but we didn't get the season right. We didn't understand the season. Or we maybe just misunderstood the Bible on that occasion. Sometimes it's possible that God has spoken and that the messenger has understood His voice accurately, but the response on the other person kept it from being fulfilled. God speaks. Fourthly, God's voice is different from our voice. How do you know if it's God speaking? His voice is different from our voice. So if it sounds a lot like you, it might not be God. <laughs> Isaiah 55.8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So we come back to 1 Corinthians 14, 26. When you come together, each of you come with a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Everything done so the church may be built up. With the Holy Spirit living in you, He wants to speak through me, through you, to each other. And it takes time to learn the language of Holy Spirit, it requires patience. Give yourself time. Give myself time to grow in this. Sometimes we feel I'll be foolish if I begin to just share what I feel God is laying on my heart. I'm going to look foolish. Well, I saw a t-shirt a number of years ago. And on the front of the t-shirt it says, I am a fool for Christ. And on the back of the t-shirt it said, whose fool are you? Well, I guess if you're going to be a fool, it better be a fool for Jesus. You know, Jesus came to redeem us fools. 1 Corinthians 1.27, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. I mean, when you think about it, Noah was foolish. Oh my goodness, building an ark where there had been no rain. Year after year, foolish? Yep. Jeremiah was foolish when he prophesied to the israelites that babylon was going to take them captive and the people around them you read of it in jeremiah people says no they won't because egypt will rescue us egypt will rescue us egypt will rescue us egypt didn't rescue him and they were taken but he was a fool for year after year after year isaiah was a fool god even told him to go naked for 3 years don't get that one and hosea he was a fool he married a prostitute god said marry this prostitute Is it any wonder Hosea wrote chapter 9, verse 7? He says, A prophet is considered a fool. Well, it's okay. John 4 23, we come back to our text. The time has come and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. They are the worshipers he seeks.